as you leave. Well, you guys ready? Let's go to God's word together today. This is a time for us to get our hearts expectant, uh, excited. Okay, God, what do you want to say to me? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I want you to turn there, if you would, with me. Uh, Maybe you need to Google it on your phone. Whatever you got to do to get to Matthew chapter 13, we'd love Uh, To be together in God's word as a church, we're committed to the authority of God's word, that our lives are being shaped by what Jesus has revealed through his word. And so uh, we come to this conversation excited because we've been studying parables that Jesus told. These are stories that Jesus told demonstrating what his kingdom is like. And every time Jesus tells a story of his kingdom, it's really an invitation for you and I to make a decision. Do Do I live for the kingdom of this world or do I live for the kingdom of heaven? Am I going to be a part of God's kingdom or my kingdom and this world's kingdom? And am I going to hear the invitation of God today? What Jesus does with these stories is interesting. He kind of of covers the meaning up a little bit. It's almost like disguised below the surface. Parables are intended to create a hunger in your heart to go, hey, do I understand this? Do I I get it? Am Am I connected to this story? Or am I maybe not getting the kingdom, am I disconnected? Because there's this principle of the kingdom that that if you will seek God and seek him and seek his wisdom, seek his kingdom, you will actually find it. But if you just kind of wait for it to run over you, you might very well miss it. And so God is always drawing us to himself, but we have an opportunity and really a responsibility to seek first the kingdom, to seek his heart and his purposes and dig kind of below the surface of these stories and go, huh, What is being said here, and do I have a heart to hear, and can I really understand what God wants for me from this story? And so I encourage you that way as we look to this story to get your your hunger up, your humility up for you and I to come at this with just a sense of urgency. God, I want to hear from you. I want to know your kingdom today. How's that sound? Sound all right? All right. Well, let's go. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 24 is where we are today. This is a story that Jesus told illustrating what his kingdom was like. I'm just going to tell it to you. I won't read it to you just because I feel like Jesus told it as a story, so I'm just going to tell it as a story. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man or a master, a leader, who went and sowed good seed in his field. But while he and his servants were all sleeping, an enemy snuck in and sowed weeds or tares amongst the wheat. And so when everything started to grow up, um, the servants of the master noticed as the heads were formed on the wheat that, hey, there's something wrong here. There's actually weeds mixed in with the wheat. So they come to their master and they're like, master, did you sow good seeds in your field? Of course I did. Well, then how come there's all these weeds here? Well, clearly my enemy has done that. Well, Master, do you want us to pull up all these weeds that are making a mess of your field now? No, 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 no. I don't want you to pull them up because if you pull them up, you might accidentally uproot the good seed, the wheat, with it when you're pulling up all these weeds. Just leave it. At the harvest, I'll instruct the harvesters uh, to gather all the weeds together, bundle them up, and throw them into the fire. And then I'll have them harvest all the good seed and bring it together and store it in my barn. This is the story from God's word. I want to pray and just ask the Lord to give us understanding in this time. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you uh, just humble today. We want to hear from you. 
We want to know you're leading, you're prompting, your spirit's voice in our hearts and our minds. God, we want to have your word just illuminated to us. And so we're trusting you to do something supernatural in this time, God. Uh, wherever we come from, Lord, we know you are faithful to meet us right where we are. And so, God, I pray you would do that supernaturally all throughout this room. Every hungry heart, God, would you just meet them, speak to them, direct, lead, encourage, bring life through your word right now. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to bring conviction and shape and changes. God, do what only you can do, God, in this time. We're trusting you with all our hearts, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. amen. I like to say amen because it's, uh, you know what you're doing, you're agreeing with everything I just prayed. It's like a yes, <laughs> yes, I don't know, that's what I want in my heart right now. So if you're new to church, you're like, what are these weird people doing? That's it, okay? Uh, side note, let's look at this story because um, I find myself in this story really quickly. When you look at the, the wheat and the weeds, there's just some clear pictures here. Um, the field is like the world. Jesus actually explains this parable later on. The field is like the world. Um, the wheat is the sons and the daughters of the kingdom of heaven. The weeds are the sons and the daughters of the enemy. There is a clear enemy here. There is a spiritual force and a spiritual battle going on. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world led by Satan and all of his, um, you know, principalities and all this darkness. And so this is the, the battle scene that you see here laid out in a field. You could illustrate it with the church. You could illustrate it with your family. You could illustrate it with, with people, but it's people. These different weeds and wheat are people. The interesting thing about this story is that as the, the seeds are sown and they sprout, you really can't tell the difference. If you notice in the story, the servants don't really say anything until there's already a head of grain produced on the wheat. Then they can tell, whoa, something's different. And so you just kind of sense the messiness of this field. You think about people, people are all messes, and this world is a mess, and many of us are a mess. And I remember growing up in church world and, and feeling the pressure of the mess of my own life and feeling like, man, if I, if, I, uh, if I am a mess at all, I probably don't fit in in this religious culture. In fact, getting called to ministry when I was 18 and uh, uh, diving straight into Bible school and learning great theology and all these amazing Bible classes and then interning all four years of school and learning a ton of practical ministry experience, getting hired right out of Bible school into my first ministry job. And it's like everything seems to be clicking. But at the same time, there was almost this other side of me that if, if I wasn't careful, it was almost like a double life, just like struggling with, with sin and, and, and quiet addiction and kind of like this, this undertow of like, oh, you might kind of have a duplicity going on here, Richie. But it was like, just keep going. It's ministry, it's church, it's keep up the, the face of everything. And I don't know if you feel this pressure at times, but for me, that was, that was a real pressure, especially early on. So maybe I had skills and knowledge, but I didn't have maturity to go with it. Until I got connected, my wife and I eventually moved to, to real life in, in, over in Post Falls, Idaho. We, we were in the Seattle area, bailed out of ministry because of a terrible church split that we were a part of and just quit, gave up on ministry altogether. And I remember by God's grace, we got connected over there and, and um, it was such a powerful time because more than anything, God just began to humble me and help me see kind of these, these places of, of hiding in my life. And through that, 
relationships that God had given me at that church began to walk with me into these places that were kind of off limits in church world, if you know what I'm saying. Like, oh, you got you to gotta say it right and play their game right and do all this tour where the Holy Spirit was inviting me to walk in the light as, as he was in the light, and I had to have the courage to step into it. And as, as we did, by God's grace, those people that were walking with us, man, some of the stuff going on in my life, they could have easily just been like kicked me to the curb, even in ministry, fired you for that kind of stuff. But, but God's grace, they were like, hey, we are with you. We're getting you guys counseling. We are, we are walking you towards healing and reconciliation and restoration and freedom from addiction. And, and, and by God's grace, I am so thankful that, that I wasn't just a weed in that field that just got ripped out and thrown aside. I think that, that many of our stories, if we're, we're really paying attention to where we find ourselves in this story, we could, we could kind of maybe start to identify where you're at in here. Think about this story and just kind of walk through it again with me for a second. If this is the field, is the world, or even this church, it's messy. You, there's this clear picture here that wheat and weeds are growing together, and you really can't tell the difference. And because of that, there's good stuff going on, and there's bad stuff going on, and there's this reality like the king, the master, the one that planted this field seems to be pretty content with the mess. The servants are like, hey, we can clean this, this place up for you if you want, Right? We'll rip out all these weeds. We'll get the, the, the rows of wheat going so nicely. You look at our chairs in this room. I'm so proud of our setup team, right? Like, let's get it just right. I want, I want them in order. I want my life in order. I want all the messes cleaned up. I want the church in order. Like, we got to get everything weed-free around here. And it's so tempting to think like this, but the master doesn't think like this at all in the story. Like, no, I'm pretty content with the mess, and we'll wait till the harvest. We'll wait till everything is really plain and clear what's what and where the fruit is and where the fruit is not at, and, and, and we'll just get to the harvest. And I think for you and I, just to kind of go, wow, we live in a messy world. We live in a place where there is a real spiritual battle. The enemy is sowing seeds of doubt and deceit and brokenness and pain in many of our lives. We've experienced so much stuff, and, and, and the fruitfulness of our lives for many of us is in process. It remains to be seen what kind of lives we are going to have. We're all in a, in, a, in a process of healing and growth and development, and maybe we're going to produce fruit in keeping with the kingdom, but maybe, maybe we're not. And, 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 and gosh, I'm so thankful that the, the, the master of this field is not just plucking out all the, all the losers and all the messed up ones, that he's giving place and space for for people to actually become who God made them to be and called them to be, and that, that you and I kind of have an invitation from him to just get used to the mess and not be people that are so overwhelmed with the messiness and, and all the complexities of people's lives and brokenness, but that we just kind of understand, wow, this place is a mess. This world is a mess. This church is a mess. We're a mess. You're a mess. I'm a mess, right? We're all in a process together, and there's a, there's a sense of maybe just peace, I, I would hope, that comes with that to go, wow, if the master's not freaked out, I don't want to be freaked out. If the king's not worried about it, then whew, maybe we shouldn't be so worried about it. That he actually has a plan. He, he knows the end and the harvesters and how it's all going to go and who's going to get gathered up and burned and who's going to be brought into the barn. And he has a sense of contentment. I wonder why we don't. 
And I think one of the invitations I hear in this passage is a dependence on God. That I'm not in control and he is, and so I need to be okay with not being in control and kind of step out of my comfort zone where my comfort zone is when I know everything and have everything figured out, you know what I'm saying? When, when my world works according to my agenda with my plan and how I want things to go, that there's an invitation actually out of that life into a life where God is in control and his spirit is leading us and we find ourselves in a place of greater and greater dependence. Here's what's so good about dependence in the kingdom of God. When you and I are dependent on God, we pray. Some of us go, God, I want to grow my prayer life. He's like, okay. I am going to grow your dependence on me. I'm going to take you beyond yourself. I'm going to take you out of your comfort. I'm going to take you into a place of humility that you don't want to go, but it's for your good that I'm going to lead you there. And for many of us, we resist the work of God in our lives. We don't want to listen to the master that's actually in charge of the field because we like our comfort zone so much. And I love this invitation into a prayer life that's dependent on God. An invitation into a place where, where God, you've got to do something supernatural in this messed up field that I live in, that I am in, with all these messed up people that I interact with, and I don't know what to say and how to do it, and God, I'm trusting that you are good, and you're in charge, and you have the harvest mapped out, and you know exactly how all this is going to go, and I'm just trusting my, my leader, my master, the, the, the king of this kingdom. Out of our comfort zone is actually a really good spot. As much as we don't like it, it's a place that I, I believe we grow the most. You grow in prayer, you grow in dependence on God and, and listening to the Spirit's voice in your life. Just think about like the expectation that some of us have that life is going to be perfect or our family is going to be perfect, our kids are going to be perfect, this church is going to be perfect. If you're looking for the perfect church, congratulations, you have not found it. I promise you. It's full of people, right? What do you expect? Because everywhere we are, there we are. And where we are, we are kind of a mess. And because of that, we, we, we understand that this is a process for all of us, for, for us becoming who God made us to be. There's a proverb. I love Proverbs 14. Uh, he says in verse 4, the, the author says, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a stable or in a manger, in a, a barn, if you have no oxen, the, the barn is going to stay perfectly clean. But if you want a large harvest, you have to have big oxen. And it's like this trade-off, right, of I want a clean barn and a clean life and everything put together the way I want it to be, or I want a life that's fruitful, that has a harvest, and the, the writer of Proverbs is like, well, then you better get used to having a messy stable, a place where there's a lot of activity going on. You better get good at mucking out the, the bottom of the stable, right? Because if you're going to have a fruitful life, you're going to have a lot of this kind of activity going on where you are going to have to be content with this mess. I think for, for you and I, just to kind of settle our hearts there today and go, huh. And I think about the kingdom I don't know what you think about, but I think about life just getting, like, really worked out perfectly. It's easy to take kind of our expectations of life and impress them on the kingdom. And here's Jesus telling us a story. Now, this is what my kingdom's like. There's a lot going on, and there's weeds and wheat, and they're all mixed together, and you're really not sure what's what. So I want to ask you to have a different posture. I want you to really understand that 
this is going to be a mess, and people are all in process, and we're not sure where everybody's at. And it's really not up to us to make those decisions about people. So get used to the mess. The other thing that I think is important here is just seeing that our need for control and our desire to control the outcomes of our life and other people's lives may accidentally uproot the work of God in their lives. Think about this. The servants, they're in a good spot. They're not bad servants. They're good servants because they're trying to clean up the mess. Master, do you want us to rip out the the weeds that are here in in the field that your enemy planted? Man, I think that's probably the cry of most of our hearts. God, do you want me to clean up their life and theirs and please clean up theirs, right? There's like, there's this desire inside of us for everyone's lives and and everything, our country, our our, our world. We want everything cleaned up. And and I think that that's a good desire. There's a desire inside of us for, for the way things were intended to be. When God created this world, he didn't create a mess. He created a perfect world with right relationship with man and God. But as soon as sin entered the world, then, then the mess began to unravel. Then, then sinful nature took over and people began to live for themselves. And the more selfish we, we became, the more destructive we became. And so the effects that, that our sinful nature uh, is just tearing apart this world. That is not how God designed it to be, but that is the result of sin in this world. And so our God has that same angst inside him. In fact, Romans says that all of creation is groaning, is long, longing for God to come and to restore and to make things the way they were intended to be. That groaning, that longing inside you is a good longing. These are not bad servants. Jesus doesn't punish the servants in this story. But that propensity to want to control, if we're not careful, if it's unchecked, if it's un, um, kind of, I would say, just matured, then, then we have a reality or, or, or a uh, possibility of accidentally uprooting the work of God in people's lives around us. So, no, leave it. I have harvesters, and you're not them. As Jesus explains this parable later on, he says the angels are actually the harvesters. You're not it. I'm not it. That we're seeds in the field. We're either weed or weeds. That's our place in this story. And, and so if we're not the harvesters, then we don't need to worry about gathering up the weeds and throwing them into the fire. That's a picture of hell. We don't need to worry about who, who's going to be the fruitful ones that get stored up in the, the master's barn. That's a picture of heaven. We don't get to actually make those decisions and determine those things. And think about the heartache that this saves us. Judgment and criticism and suspicion, those are not our spiritual gifts, all right? That is not who we are called to be. That is not what God wants us to be. And and so we have an opportunity to stay a long ways away from being the harvesters. Oh, that's not my role. God has a different role for you and I, and that is not it. And I think that, that that propensity for control could really damage relationships that you have. You think of your spouse. I think if you're married, you understand that there's a lot of things about your spouse you would like to control because you could really help them, right? Or your kids, right? It's, it's tempting. If you're a kid, your parents, there's a lot of things that you would love to control about these key relationships, your boss, that coworker, like you're, it's just, right, you know, take a deep breath for a second and just go, I am not the harvester. I don't get to decide. I don't get to pick wheat and weed. I don't get to make that determination. That is not my responsibility. That is not my part. 
you do have a part to play, and that is not it. And when I, when I come to this story, I think it's so important just to kind of evaluate, to go, wow, where is this control coming from? What is this, this angst inside me? There's a purity about it. We want all things to be made back into the, to the image of God, the way God intended creation to be. That is a really good thing. But, but I've got to allow myself to be humble enough to recognize that's not my job. Do you know, there's actually a principle in botany that's really incredible. You'll see it in forests around here all the time where, where trees growing together in tight clusters actually kind of help each other. No matter the species of the tree, maybe some are determined as weeds and some are determined as the right trees, depending on if you're a forester or not and what kind of tree you might be harvesting. But the principle that's really amazing is that the more competition there is for nutrients and roots and, and, and sun is actually the, the more propensity this tree has to get higher, closer to the sun, to get its roots spread out, that there is actually a healthiness to this pressure in the forest. You see a tree by itself with no competition, it stays dwarfed. So you and I in this messy field actually creates an opportunity for you and I to be humble enough to recognize our part that I have a job to do, and that is not to be deciding who's wheat and who's weeds, but to make sure that this soul is growing with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength to the glory of God. I got to reach higher. I got to get deeper with my roots. I have a competition for my soul going on. There is an enemy of my soul that is trying to ruin the work of God in this life and in your life. And we have so much work to be doing and growing in our love of God and our love of other people. Like, this is our part and our responsibility, and we are not the judges. We are not the critics. We are not the suspicious ones that are trying to figure out what's wrong with everybody and tell everybody about it. Man, one of the things that's really dangerous is when we have made a decision about who's wrong and who's right, and then we begin to tell everybody about it. Here's what's the slippery slope here that you got to be careful of. If you're not careful, then, then pretty soon your life and your testimony is, is a story of who you are for and who you're against. And really not who you're for at all, but really who you're against. And I'm sad to say that, that over the last couple of years, watching as this kind of elevated thinking is just, you know, I wouldn't even say thinking, but this elevated conversation of who's wrong and who's right. And some of, the, some of the church has been the loudest on this. And, and here's the thing that I have a passion for is that we would not be a people who are known who and what we are against, but who and what we are for. Our world does not need to be argued into how bad they are. They need to be shown the love of God. They need to be understanding of how good God's love is and how gracious he is and how kind he is. You know how he, that picture is going to get shown to the world is through you. When you are overwhelmed by the love of God in your own life, it fills you with compassion for other people, not judgment and criticism. And, and, and not trying to convince everyone around you of how messed up they are, but it fills you with a sense of urgency. God, would you get a hold of their heart too? Would you draw them to yourself the way you drew me to yourself? 
And, and would you give me a softness to see people the way you see people, not the way I see them with judgment and, and criticism in my eye, but God, an understanding that you are doing something supernatural in them, and I don't know the outcome. I don't know the harvest. I'm not in charge of the harvest. You are the Lord of the harvest. And so here I am, God, in a place of humility, trusting that you are going to bring about your kingdom in your time and in your way, and I'm going to be in my place doing what you have called me to. And that humility, I believe, is so important for us to see in this story. God, I, I am not the harvester. I am, I am one of these seeds, and I am responsible to grow in my heart for you, Jesus, for your kingdom, and for the people around me. And God, would you make us a people that, that see people the way God sees people? Not the way, you have, a, you have a limited perspective. God has an eternal perspective. And here's what we love, is when God sees us through the eyes of eternity, because he sees us with, with all of our brokenness of our past, and, and he sees us with his grace covering our lives, and he sees us with the hope of the future when we live submitted to Jesus. And the danger is that we stop viewing people through God's perspective and only seeing through our perspective. This is a perspective of the flesh, where we're criticizing and judging and looking at people through our own lens. See, you and I are not the harvesters. We're not in charge of all of that, and God is, and he's good enough to walk into the mess that this field is, that this church is, to these lives that you love so much, and he is so good that he loves to draw people to himself. One of my friends told me this early on in ministry. I was struggling because maybe the people on my team weren't, I don't know, whatever it was. And I was just kind of angsty about what was going on in ministry. And he just said, Richie, you, you need to learn to trust the Holy Spirit. I said, I do. Well, I know you do for you. Like you trust the Holy Spirit to bring you conviction and to shape you for his purposes and to transform your attitude and your motives. But do you trust the same Holy Spirit to work in them that is working in you? I think that this is the control issue for me is a lack of trust in God. That the same God that loved me and is wanting to save me and save you is the same God that loves them and has the exact same heart for them as he does for you. And that he knows the future better than you do. He, he sees the beginning and the end. He understands the dynamics of their life and their hurt way more than you do. God, would you help us not to regard people from a sinful perspective, a, a fleshly point of view? Would you help us to regard people through the lens of your spirit? Amen. Through the lens of your grace, through the lens of the hope that is possible only in Jesus Christ. See, would this be a place not consumed with judgment and criticism and a people that are, con, you know, like on a mission to weed out every broken person from this? Would this be a field where we can all be in process? Would this be a place where we can all grow towards maturity and fruitfulness in Christ? Would this be a place where we're all just passionate about helping people know the love of God, the grace of God? Would this be a place of compassion inside of you? Not in what we do and the songs we sing, but inside of you. Would you actually like be filled with a sense of compassion that people want to be around us because of the grace that's just oozing out of us, the goodness of God that has just overwhelmed our lives? See, I really believe you have a choice to make. You can have control or you can have the growth of the kingdom, but you can't have both. The desire for control would actually uproot the work of God. God, forgive us for that. God, keep us from 
we be your people? Would this be your field? Would this city know your love? Just think about this story and think of your next steps coming out of it. Think of who we want to become, the kind of church, the kind of individual you want to be. And I really believe with all my heart that you want to be someone that that is dependent on God, that is a fruitful part of this field, that is trusting the work of God in people's lives around you. You're partnering with God, but ultimately God's the one in control. He's the one drawing. He's the one forgiving. He is the one loving. And you go, God, I'm in. Whatever mess that is, whatever people that, however long that takes, wherever you want me, God, I'm, I'm here. I can't help but think about some of you that are in the room that haven't yet come to be a part of the kingdom. And maybe this is part of the reason why. You feel like you have a double life and you can't do religious things and come out of the brokenness of your past. And you haven't felt like the church maybe is a safe place or you're going to be judged or critiqued for where you've been or where you're at. And you just hear an invitation from the Spirit of God today. Come. Come. Every single one of us is in process here. Every single one of us is desperate for the grace of God. Every single one of us came into the kingdom at the exact same spot through the grace of Jesus and Jesus alone. Nobody came in a little ahead of somebody else because they had their life all figured out. No way. No way. Desperate for Jesus. Our hope is that you would come. You would hear Jesus. You'd hear his love. You'd hear his compassion for you. He made you. He made you for a life of fulfillment and joy, not a brokenness and addiction and all the pain that you've just been chewing on. He made you for a life of freedom. And he wants to give it to you. You're the only one in the way. (laughs) He's done everything. He died for you. He's offered this love to every single one of us and you have a choice to repent and turn to him. That invitation is for every one of us. I love it in scripture. Whenever somebody says, sees this, it feels like they're being cut to the heart, Bible says. And they ask a simple question, what should I do? The Bible is clear, repent and be baptized, every single one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. If that's where you're at today, I want to call you to take that step, to repent, turn your life over to Jesus. He is good. He loves you, wants to save you, heal you, cleanse you, 